been out the last couple of weeks, we have started a journey through John's letter called 1 John. And so you can find it on your device or in your Bible there. And, and uh, this is a great, great look at such a passionate guy, John. I mean, John was, John was uh, so close to Jesus um, just in the sense of their relationship, and he, he walked with Jesus. And I've kind of given you a little background, but let me just kind of remind you of, uh, of some things that when John wrote to these people, the guys, guys and gals receiving this letter, they were in an area called Ephesus, which would have been pretty secular. It, it revolved around a, a pagan deity that was very sensuous in the worship, and these people had come to Christ. And, and uh, what we're looking at is we're looking at second and third generation believers, you know. Um, in other words, none of them walked with Jesus. It was somebody that walked with Jesus, told somebody about Jesus, who told somebody about Jesus, who now they have come to relationship with Jesus. And so it's that we're, we're heading towards the end of the, the first century into the 90s, 95 uh, A.D. range. And what has happened is, is that uh, Jesus hasn't returned. Christians are dying. Um, it seems like a little bit of hope has diminished. The miraculous is not quite as prevalent in, their, in, in the day. And they're wondering, is this all the deal? Am I the real deal? And then false teaching. People, you know, anytime you... Uh, get a little despair in your faith or in your in your hopes in something. False teaching has a tendency to to creep in, and that's what happened. And these people are being led astray. And so John is writing to kind of set things straight about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ and the evidence that is in your life. And uh, so we've been talking about that. And we're calling it the real deal. And uh, it, it hit me even over the course of the weekend a little bit more. Um, now, we had a large group of graduates this year, high school graduates and some college graduates out of the, out of the body. And, and uh, I always think about those graduates as they are stepping out, maybe from high school, they're about to go to college or step into the work world or whatever it may be, but there's all of a sudden this transition. And as I think about these uh, graduates, I think about this, you know, it, it's easy for us, and sometimes we have a tendency in church to, to isolate a little subculture and what happens is, is we learn how to model certain behaviors, but has there truly been a heart transformation that we are able to go out and be the real deal in the world? And you know as well as I do that if you're just modeling something and trying to act a certain way and it's not the real deal, it's just a matter of time before this world takes you down. And that's, that's obvious. We see that all the time. Some of you walked that journey, and uh, you, it took you a while to finally realize, hey, God, you are real. It's not my parents' faith. It's my faith that needs to be real. So we're going to talk about this real deal. But here, let me, let me, let me kind of ask you a question, rhetorical question. If I were to go to those closest to you, your family, your friends, those, your work associates or whatever, whoever's close to you, and I were to ask them this question, what is this person's faith life really like? And they would start giving me answers. And I don't know what it may be. They, they say, well, he goes to church or she goes to church, talk about their faith. They're good moral people. Those kind, of que- those kind of answers may come back, which are pretty good signs of, of some things, and, and, and that's the way it is. Let's twist it a little bit. What if I would stand before the Lord and said, Lord, tell me about the faith life of X, Y, Z in this room. You, Lord, you see all. You know motives. You know agendas. You know the heart. What is their faith like? Would it be, would it be congruent? Would it be, would it work hand in hand? What others see and what the Lord sees? And listen, I, I, I'm not putting you on a stand to be judged. I'm just thinking, 
what is reality in your life? Because, listen, I'll be honest. Sometimes I find my faith is acting out. I'm supposed to do that. I'm supposed to act a particular way. I'm supposed to model a particular way. And if I do this, then maybe that will show others that I'm faith. And I wonder sometimes, is it truly coming from a heart that's been transformed? Or is it just from an external uh, stimuli that changes? You, you know what I'm saying? I think sometimes we have a tendency to, to do that. If we can just act a certain way, people will think I'm a Christian instead of being the real deal where our heart has been transformed and it's obvious that we are different. And so 1 John chapter 2 is where, we at, where, where we're at. And we're going to begin in verse 3 and today we're going through verse 11. And... Uh, we're going to read, read it all and then come back and just kind of see what God has for us as we look at this today. So 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 through 11. And remember last week we talked about the first picture of the real deal is that that person is going to want to stay close to Christ by keeping a short account of sin areas in their life. And they will confess those to the Lord so that his righteousness keeps a good relationship. And so we talked about that last week. Now... Let's look at it, verse 3. Um, I'll try not to stop too much because I, I, I want you to hear the whole thing. But I am going to read one word and stop. We. Now, that's, I'm not going to do this the whole time. But the reason I wanted you to see that John says we is that he is talking to Christ followers. He's not talking to those that are seeking Christ, but he's, seeking, he's speaking more to those that are, have already come into the faith uh, at least verbally or to the church. So I want you to know who he's talking to. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. In other words, this is love's gold goal in them is to to uh, walk in, in this way. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Let me stop here because as part of the message, I'm not going to so much talk about this because it seems like such a paradox. He says, I'm giving you an old command and yet I'm giving you a new command. And it kind of seems like he's talking about the same thing. So what does he really mean here? So let me just kind of make this point right now. Ever since the beginning, it's God's love that will dominate. It's his, it's his desire for us to walk in close relationship with him and his love to be evident throughout all of history. We know that from the beginning when he created Adam and Eve and he created the earth. Now, that's the old thing that he looked at. But he says, now I'm teaching you a new thing. Well, what is that new thing? Well, the new thing is this, is now that Jesus has come and God's spirit has come to inhabit people, now that what was old now has become reality and is new. And people are actually able to see it. And they saw it in Christ and they see it in one another. Verse 9. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness 
has blinded them. There's, there's three key things that we're gonna, I'm going to give you out of this today that I want you to see. And I think uh, I encourage you to take notes. I encourage you to jot in the margin of your Bible, whatever's going to help you to grasp what God is saying here. The first thing I want you to write down is this. The real deal knows God. The real deal knows God. In other words, knowing God is so much more than knowing about God. And there's a difference between knowing God and knowing about God. Mark Twain was taking a trip through Europe with his family. And everybody knew Mark Twain, and he seemed to know everybody in Europe. And at the end of the trip, his, his little daughter said this to him, Daddy, I guess pretty soon you will know everybody except God. And I think sometimes that is what? We know a lot about God. We know a lot of people. But do you really know God? See, that's always, he seems so subjective in that, do I know God or just I just know about God? Because we know so much about God. We're always learning about God. We know he is the creator. We know that he sent his son, Jesus Christ. We know that Christ died on the cross. We know all of the facts about God. But can we truly say that through his revelation that we have come to a personal experiential relationship with the living God. Uh, the way I look at it, I, the NBA playoffs are going on right now, the Cavaliers and the Warriors, and, and it's fun just to watch and, and uh, watch these guys play. So many all-stars playing. And I know there's many young men that, that watch that and think, man, I want to be LeBron James or I want to be Steph Curry or Kevin Durant, and they're watching these guys play. Well, when I was young, I was the same way. Uh, and what the, the guy, though, that for me was Pete Maravich, for you that were in my generation. Pete Maravich was a guy before the three-point line even came to be averaged over 40 points a game in college and went on to the pros. And there were certain things about Pete Maravich that you would, as a young boy, that I would want to emulate. Now, all the young boys like me wanted to do the same. One of the things was he had kind of a moppy haircut, so you'd kind of want your hair to grow out and look a little uh, disheveled and moppy a little bit. And then the other thing was is, is how his mom let him get away with it, I don't know, but he took the elastic out of his socks, and, and so you would try to do the same thing because you would want to emulate and how he could how he could do what he did. You wanted to model it, and you wanted to do that, just like little boys want to do today. They watch a professional athlete, and they say, I want to do that. I want to be like that. Uh, you know, and in fact, they did that Be Like Mike commercial Michael Jordan back in the day. And so we, we see this and we want to emulate and we want to model. But Pete Maravich is now now passed away. But if he were to have walked in here someday or we would have finally met face to face, you know, I could have stood there and said, man, you're Pete Maravich. You uh, you played college ball at LSU. You went to the pros. You did blah, 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 blah. And I could tell him all that things about that stuff. But you know something? There's no relationship. He doesn't know me, and I really don't know him. I don't know his heartbeat. I don't know everything about him. But, but sometimes we know so much about God. But what John is saying here, he says, and this is that you know that you know him. And that know there, which is really, really interesting, uh, it's not a head knowledge, but it is a true understanding, recognizable relationship that includes the total being. In other words, it, it's experiential. God wants you to know him. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he gave his Holy Spirit. Not just so that we can know about him. Not that we can read this and say, oh, I know this about God. I know this, all these trivia stuff. But I mean that you can personally know him. And, and when you know him, the relationship changes. Um, I, I, I did something this week that's kind of corny. But, but to think about this experiential knowledge a little bit to, to help you understand it. I uh, took Siri on my phone and I said, Siri, uh, how long is the Brooklyn Bridge? 
and she regurgitates back to me. Uh, she did say this. I asked her, Siri, how can I know God? And she said, I am but silicon. Man has religion. I thought, okay, that's a, that's a good answer. Uh, but I asked, how long is the Brooklyn Bridge? And she told me. And I said, when, when was the Brooklyn Bridge um, uh, may, uh, erected? And she said uh, it was in the 1880s. And uh, I thought about that a little bit. And Siri even knows the facts about that. I said, you know, Siri can tell me all about Brooklyn Bridge. But I thought about this. What if I could go back and get a guy who was there in the 1880s, calloused hands, rough skin, workman that had worked inch by inch on the Brooklyn Bridge and ask him, how long is the Brooklyn Bridge? What he told me has the passion of understanding that Siri will never have. You see, there's a difference from us being able to say, uh, okay, there's God. God so loved the world. He gave his only begotten son, blah, 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 blah. We know all the facts. But when you come to that point of saying, God so loved the world that he changed my life. You see the passionate different. And, and, the, and the deal is, is that not just to know about, but to know him. And that is what John is trying to get across. It's a relationship that has ongoing, and I want you to hear this, and I want it to make sense. It's a relationship that has ongoing consequences and outcomes. If you know him, there is going to be certain things that are produced in your life. One of those we talked about last week was to stay close to him by confession and repentance. So he's about to go into some more of this. So that's, that's number one, is that the real deal knows God. Okay, here's number two. Write this down. The real deal obeys. The real deal obeys. And this is what he said. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. If we keep his commands. Now the question is this. Is this the Ten Commandments? Is it uh, some other kind of commandments? What is he talking about? In 1 John 3.23, if you can just put a finger over there, 1 John 3.23, John said this. And this is his command. To believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as He commanded us. You see what He has done? He's taken the command, just like Jesus took the commands down to love God and love others. What, what John has done here, he says, and this is command, to believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. Why is that vital? It's because Jesus fulfilled the law. And then He says, carry that out by loving one another as He has commanded us. So keeping his commands is not a condition to knowing him. It is a sign that you have a relationship with him. Okay? So in other words, if I can get my act together, maybe God will accept me. That's false. You're never going to get good enough. Because he has loved you and you know him, now you desire to walk in obedience with him. See the difference? And that is what John is saying here. The real deal is going to be one who obeys God. Now, notice, notice something else that John says here in, in uh, verse 6. He says this, because this is a powerful verse. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, let me, let me give you a little bit of breather in that, because you're thinking, well, good night. Man, I blow it all the time. The, the verbiage that you, John uses, which is really good, is habitual. In other words, the one who habitually abides, stays as much as he can, abiding with Christ, their life will be characterized as one as like Jesus lived. Now, that's pretty powerful, though. 
I've thought about that a little bit, and I want you to I want you to hear my illustration here. Uh, I have a son. I have a I have two grandsons, but I I, I look at my son's son. Okay. I, I look at the relationship. Have you ever seen, you've seen it, you that have had sons or other people will say, man, I know that's your son. Look at him. I know he's your son. And because of the mannerisms, the way they'll carry himself, maybe their terminology they use, the way they are, you know, for me, a lot of times just it's the way I am. I'll have a hand in my pocket. I've seen my son do it. I've seen my grandson do it. And uh, they just, they pick up the mannerisms. They pick up the modeling and all those kind of things. And you've seen it with dads and sons. You see it with daughters and, 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 and their moms. Here's the deal. I want to tell you something. This is the truth. No son ever goes to class to learn that about their dad. In other words, they don't take some book out and say, how can I be like my dad? You know what happens? They're so close to their dad. They're in a constant relationship with their dad. They're always seeing their dad. So what happens is, is the mannerisms just become automatic because they spend so much time with dad. Now there's genes in there. I understand all that kind of stuff. But you, you see where I'm going with this is that the relationship dictates the mannerisms on how they live the life out. You've seen it in your sons. If you've got a son, somebody will come up to you and say, man, I know that's your son. I know it's your grandson because of the way they are. Wow, they, they emulate you. It's the same thing that I believe John is going here. If we have this experiential knowledge of who God is, that we're we're growing in that relationship with Him, it should be automatic that His mannerisms start to be lived out in our lives. We have a tendency in our day, and I'm not opposed to classrooms. I'm not opposed to spiritual disciplines. Y'all know that. We need to be involved in those things. But let me tell you, you grow in a relationship, you start to resemble Christ more and more. So when you're walking close with Him, that that happens. Let me give a warning, though. I always feel like i got to give warning. John gives great warnings. I mean, he says, John is so, you know, people, people want to say, Ah, oh, you, you Christians, you're just so... Uh, you, you're just so close-minded. You just got your way and this kind of stuff. John just stood up and said, listen, if you keep his commands, you're a follower. If you don't, you're not. Come on, that's not politically correct, John. You can't, you can't say that. If you're a follower, you will start to look like Jesus. If you're not, then you're not. I mean, he just pretty much hits it. But here's the warning that I think that we need to hear eventually, what is truly our character and our foundation will at some time be revealed in our lifetime. In other words, if you're not the real deal, if you've just become a religious person and you're just hanging on to stuff and this is the way you're going to be, at some time in life, you're going to get squeezed. Not that somebody's going to put a gun to your head, but that's not saying that's not a possibility, but somehow the squeezing is going to come. You remember what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount? He said, Anyone who keeps these teachings of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man who built his house upon the rock. The storms come. And then he said, the foolish man heard the same teachings, but he built his house upon the sand. The storms come, wipe it out. You know as well as I do, and I can say from experience in my lifetime, it's been longer than some, storms come. And what is truly on the inside gets revealed. It gets brought forth. And I think that's a warning that needs to come forth that we think, oh, I'm okay, it's no big deal, but but that will happen. 
When I, growing up in Waco, when I was 10 years old, we went over to First Baptist Church Waco and started going there. Our pastor was a guy named Peter McLeod. I, I, I loved Peter. Peter was Scottish. He was from, from Scotland and he would have that brogue and everything. You're listening to it. It'd keep you tuned in. And, uh, I, I'll never forget the story he told and why, why it impressed me so much and stuck with me. I don't know, but I want to share it with you today. Peter said that in their church in Scotland, there was an old rough steel mill guy that uh, um, that didn't know Christ, but through people reaching out to them, he, he came to a dramatic relationship with Jesus Christ. And uh, the word got out back in the steel mill that he had found Jesus, you know, one of those kind of things. And he went back that the next week, the guys that actually set him up said, we'll see if this is a real deal. And one of the guys was working with some rivets that were in the fire, and he was pulling it out with some tongs. And what he did is he tossed the rivet to this, this, this man. And he, you know, reaction's going to be to catch. And he reached up and he caught it. And I remember Peter saying, you know, just showing that he reached up and he caught it. And he said he let out all the expletives and cuss words that were inside of him because of the heat that all of a sudden had, had contacted him in that way. And everybody started saying, yeah, that's what we thought. Just, you know, it's not real. It's not real. But then the next thing that happened, is said the old man fell on his knees in front of all those men and said, please forgive me. That's not me anymore. And I thought, man, I thought that has always stuck with me because it lets me know two things. It lets me know I'm not perfect, but it lets me know that when I follow Christ, asking forgiveness is one of the best things we can do for other people to show Jesus. And so the the one who is the real deal is going to be one who follows his commands. Third point that I want you to get is this. The real deal will love his fellow brother or the real deal will love his brother and sister. I mean, but the real deal will love his fellow brother and sister. You remember in in the gospel of John Jesus said this, John thirteen thirty four. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And this is what John is saying here. You cannot say you're a follower of Christ and not love the brothers and sisters of Christ. It just can't happen. He says, anyone who says that he is a follower and doesn't love shows me he's not. There's got to be a tangible picture of the body of Christ that the love of Christ flows. And listen, there's going to be times we don't agree. I mean, that, that happens. But the, but the love is what is all-encompassing. And, and, and here's the deal. I've said this to you before because it's one of those quotes out there. Most people come to Christ because of another Christian. Most people reject Christ because of another Christian. We are the ones that give a display of Jesus. And so often, what, what, what ought to be reality of the unity of the body of Christ when we come together ought to be a picture to this world of, of who Christ truly is. And that is what John is saying here. You cannot say this. And I love what he says in verse 10. Look at that. It says, Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. In other words, 
I'm not going to let a broken relationship, broken relationship cannot exist. It will make people stumble. And he says, this will not stumble. This will not be there. Galatians 6.2 says this, carry each other's burdens. And in this, you will fulfill the law of Christ. The church should be the true evidence that God is real. I mean, you think about it. You look in this room alone. There, we're such imperfect, diverse individuals, some strong-willed, some extroverts, some introverts, some multi-talented, some no talent. <laughs> but you've got to think about in this room and how God wants to bring this together as a display of His love. I love that. The real deal will love his brother and sister. I, uh, as I was praying through this week, I, I, I had a had a picture come to my mind, and, and, and there's actually a movie going to be made this summer called Dunkirk. Some of you have heard about it, and and it's this week, as I was I was thinking about the love of of um, the love of the body of Christ, I thought about Dunkirk, and this this is a story, historical true story. And if you're not aware of it, um, it's a beautiful story. And let me just share it with you. Let me say this first of all. Um, Dunkirk, the, the, uh, the evacuation of Dunkirk happened from May 26th to June 4th. Today's June the 4th. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I, it finally hit me because I, I was working on that this week and had no thought about when it actually happened and then think it, that it ended today, 1940. But what happened was, is World War II is, is, has set in in Europe. And uh, what has happened is, is Nazi Germany is making their way through France. On France, across from the, um, from the English Channel, there is Dunkirk. And there is about 300,000 plus Allied forces that have now got trapped on the edge of Dunkirk there on the beaches. The Nazis have come. The Nazis decided, though, that they were going to halt the advance. They knew they were going to re-engage it to come and, and uh, take them all down. In fact, Great Britain was trying to think about how to do a peace treaty in the midst of that because of this is what happens. And, uh, but they got the word in Great Britain. Winston Churchill got the word. And the word came that we are surrounded. We, uh, there's nothing we can do. And this is what the commanding officer relayed back. It was three little words, and it was this, but if not. Now, that doesn't sound like a big deal to us, and we're kind of thinking, what does he mean? He says, but if not. Now, Great Britain being a Christian nation back in the uh, 1940s especially, but, but if not referred to the same thing that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said before they were put in a fiery furnace. What they said is they said, listen, we will go. We know that our God can deliver us, but if not, we will not bow down. Three little words they sent back to Churchill in Great Britain, but if not. And what that said was, is that we may be captured, we may be killed, but we will not give in. And what happened is, is with that, there was a rallying cry that came. And from May 26th to June 4th, there was a call out to go across the English Channel and do anything they could to rescue these 300,000 that were stranded. 
these officers that were uh, these soldiers that were going to be wiped out by Nazi Germany. And what happened was is that fishermen came, people with yachts came, people with pleasure cruisers came, people with any kind of boats decided they were going to go. And by the time June 4th came around, they had, they had evacuated over 300,000 soldiers back to England. And it's an incredible story, and the movie, I'm sure, will, will, will display all of that. But, but one of the most incredible things as I think about that is that I thought, man, that ought to be a picture of the body of Christ. When there's people that are surrounded and need to be evacuated, and there's people that are hurting, and people need to be here, and people are going to say, but if not, if, if nobody comes, I'm still going to stand for Christ. But what's going to happen is, is that the body of Christ surrounds them and that they're there. The body of Christ is evidence of God. So what? Let me wrap this up. So what? I always ask so what because Sunday it's one thing. Monday it's another thing when, you, when, when all of the stuff hits you. Three so what's. Number one is this. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. You must know him. Knowing about Jesus is not enough. You must know him. Let me say something right here just to you parents of young children. Be careful. Be careful about trying to pick fruit too fast from your child. In other words, don't get them just to regurgitate some facts to you and say, oh, they're saved. They're saved. Allow the Holy Spirit to draw their heart. And when there's a conviction of sin, you're going to know it. You're going to know it. So don't pick the fruit too quickly. But it's about knowing him and not knowing about him. Second thought is this. A life that has been truly transformed will begin more and more to look like Jesus. A life that has been truly transformed will begin more and more to look like Jesus. And the third thought is this. The love among Christians should be an attraction for others to come to Christ. The love among Christians should be an attraction for others to come to Christ. Uh, two weeks before school was out, I guess, or the last week of school or something like that, my grandson, Gavin, gets a hold of me through his dad, and he says he's doing a show-and-tell in, in Miss Hereford's class, um, and uh, they're going to they're gonna do, they're gonna do show-and-tell, and he was going to talk about because Pops had gone to Haiti. He had some Haiti currency and Haiti bracelet and this kind of stuff he wanted to talk about Haiti and so he was talking was talking about uh, uh, I should have said Miss Walker uh, but they he's going to do that uh, the that in uh, class and and I just thought about that show and tell you know he's going to show and he's going to tell and and that's just a part of all of us growing up we did show and we did tell I thought you know the real deal God has so transformed us that we ought to be show and tell. Show and tell. We've earned the right to be heard. We show the love of Christ and we tell of the love of Christ. Real deal.